Welcome to Ready Layer One. This is a Web3 podcast that focuses on the near ecosystem. And on this week's episode, we interviewed Chris from Few and Far. Yeah, this was a really exciting one. So, and I think this is a good one where if you haven't been following us the whole time, so we interviewed the Few and Far team, but not this Chris, not Chris Gale, who was the CEO. We actually had two other co-founders the first time. And that was almost a year ago now yeah. uh, when we first talked to them and, and to hear the evolution of everything uh, is really interesting because Few and Far is really positioning themselves not as just a marketplace, but actually as an infrastructure play as well. And we get into all of that during this conversation. Absolutely. And I think there's some of the points that I really liked in this podcast. It, mm. And it's this whole idea of what they're going to be doing with NFTs going forward. And I like to think of it as like sort of the evolution of NFTs, right? Joe, you and I talk all the time about like this first use case of NFTs of flipping them, you know what I mean? Kind of like PFP, JPEG, community flipping mm-hmm. was like a really good first use case and will always be around. But now as the space evolves, what does that look like? That's exactly right. You know, it, it, it is not just again, and that's why I think it's important that if if you listen back to the first episode with them and to hear and to hear about, again, the discussion of being more than just a marketplace, uh, there's some really interesting parts here that I think they do have an opportunity, despite what's happening in the NFT volume across all chains, for them to be successful. Yeah. And the two big things, quests, I think are going to be a really good use case. For a lot of, uh, not just like crypto native people, but also like web two companies that want to use NFTs uh, as a marketing play. Yeah. I think that is like a really untapped area that they're focusing on. And the second one was their creator studio. And I think that's going to be interesting too. So once you combine those two things, you really start to open up accessibility to to the space. Exactly. I, you know, and that's one of the things where, um, if you're interested, not even just in the near space, but if you're interested in seeing like what could be possible with leveraging NFTs and if you have a project yourself or, yeah. or you're interested in different things, like this is a really great interview to start to kind of get those wheels turning of like what is actually potentially possible and kind of where to go from there. We hope you all enjoy the episode as much as we did. Uh, today we have uh, Chris Gale from Few and Far, and we're really excited to discuss NFT marketplaces uh, on Near and just in general. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show, and can you introduce yourself? Sure. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Jared. How's, how's it going? Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Chris Gale. Um, I'm co-founders at Few and Far. Um, we've been building in the space, or I've been building in the space since around 2016. Um, previously built a project called Veracity. Um, before then, working in um, mobile advertising, um, offering services and technology to Fortune 500 brands. Um, what we're doing at Few and Far, um, building on Near, uh, is a, a Web3 platform with digital collectibles, NFTs, uh, including a marketplace, a launchpad. But really under the bonnet and excited to talk to you more today about what we're building on the infrastructure side uh, and how we're powering a number of uh, large Web2 companies and IP owners who are coming into uh, Web3 for the first time and, and, and looking to build on Nier. No, that's, that's exciting. So for the audience, so uh, Few and Far as a company actually had come on the show almost, I mean, almost about a year ago now, maybe. Um, so, but it wasn't you, it was uh, Taj and Chris, the other Chris, uh, who, uh, who came on. And at that point, I mean, it was, uh, I don't believe... Far was even live yet. Uh, you were just starting to build, uh, and really, it was the biggest thing. The reason why I think we had Far on was to talk about how 
Funfar was going to do something different and kind of, you know, uh, Paris was really been the main marketplace at that time, uh, really was doing probably almost 99% of the volume at the time. And so that was kind of the thing like, hey, we're going to disrupt a little bit what's happening here. Do you feel like from then to now, that vision is starting to come together of what you guys are trying to do different? Yeah, so um, really interesting point. And, you know, every startup uh, has a vision and a, and, a, and a roadmap and a plan on day one. And as the market moves, as the yeah. um, technology moves, um, you not necessarily pivot, but you you, you, you uh, divert and, uh, and, and explore newer opportunities. So kind of looking back on our journey, we started just over 12 months ago with yeah, my co-founders, Chris, uh, who runs all the technology from the CTO side, as well as Taj, who's focused on the marketing creative as an art director, especially very tied to the you know, passions of, of, of building digital collectibles, art. Um, and I'm focused more on the, 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 the business development, fundraising um, and strategy side. Um, and really, as we started building into Near, we got really into the technology, really into the weeds. We hired some amazing core near developers that have been you know, building NFT um, products on near for, for, for a number of years. Um, so brought really the best in class understanding of the tech and realized there were some gaps, right? Um, always intends to be the thing you go into the documentation, you realize that some of the standards weren't being followed by lots of different NFT collections, um, maybe the kind of lack of documentation early on, or as the standards change over time and are upgraded, some contracts then you know, don't start rendering. And this is quite difficult if you're a marketplace and you're trying to make sense of a huge array of, of, of data. Um, right. And so we then focused into building some of that infrastructure. Um, what that looks like is an indexer. So really understanding how to then uh, compute and make sense of, of, of data and on-chain data, um, which didn't really exist. Um, as well as then looking at um, actually solving some of the problems and creating what we call the next generation of NFTs which is how NFTs can become dynamic, how they can evolve, and how we can give creators or owners of the contract more control over what they can do with their NFTs, mm -hmm. which then introduces yeah. more utility and, and more flexibility of, uh, of really how utility can play out for, 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 for digital collectibles. Um, mm -hmm. So back to answering your question, we then uh, look to focus a little bit more on the infrastructure side, um, especially as you know, mid bear market, not much trading volumes happening. Didn't feel like we we're missing out too much, and we saw a bigger opportunity to solve some of these key protocol issues. Um, solve some of these issues on royalties and how royalties are not being paid to creators that we can go into in a, a little while, um, as well as onboarding and making it as easy as possible for like Web two users to come in uh, to create an account, create a near wallet. Um, and so we took a step back from the front end of the marketplace and the features that you'd expect to see on the marketplace um, and focused more on that infrastructure level. Sure. I like philosophically think that like NFT flipping's dying, that meta's gone. So now it's like, what is this like V2 of marketplaces going to be? And yeah. that's what I'm excited about. Like, because I think you guys are doing it the right way. Coming from a spot, especially as CEO during this time now of building, how hard was it though to keep that pacing and say, you know, we're not going to really launch yet, you know, because I know there was a time where probably, you know, maybe six months ago or more, there was rumored, okay, maybe you guys are ready to kind of get going and you kind of weren't, weren't quite ready yet and you didn't really launch. And it seemed like though you still had a plan clearly, you know, and you still were really building towards something and the delays were 
not because, at least in the public eyes, wasn't that because there was something wrong. It was just like you didn't feel rushed to get to market just yet. And so how do you, how do you I guess, uh, make that all work together for you? Exactly. So um, to that point, like we we launched as we planned. We we built like the the V one um, of the marketplace, and and it just you know wasn't really cutting it. In we had some indexing issues that we you know we talked about, um, and just lack of we, we we kind of really experienced in the market. We had more time to work with creators, work with developers to really understand what the market was was looking for. Um, that includes fundraising, which we, we recently announced, you know, closing $10.5 million raise with some really great names on our cap table, working with those the leaders in Web3 from a VC side to understand you know, where they see the market going, um, where we can add most value in, in, in the future of Web3, as well as with NIR as well. So we work very closely with, with the NIR team, um, especially on the BD marketing team. Um, and so really, it's how can we provide the tools um, and the solutions that, um, that that these 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 brands and Web two companies want, um, and really the just end goal of having a marketplace wasn't cutting it enough. There was a, a lot of gaps in mm. infrastructure in between, which made a, a lot of sense for us to, to to look to solve and get that piece working really well before then showing everything on the marketplace, which will come later on when when you know the market's picking up, where near's expanding, and uh, and we get to benefit on that. Um, so really, we we launched in, in in an alpha version. We went back and reshaped a lot of the technology on the indexer side. I know you guys have got your know, first hand experience with building and developing on Near and the yeah. opportunities of you know using third party indexes versus building it your own. Um, and it's really um, solving some of those key infrastructure problems are take a lot longer than you initially kind of forecast sure. when you're building out your roadmap. Well, one thing in uh, I really I think is people really want to try to better understand too. And they come to us and as we're talking about, you know, what's happening in the near ecosystem is it's been slow at times and the news, you know, has been a lot around the technology and it's been a lot less about products, but then you guys come out and after being not stealthy because everyone knew about you guys, but you know, not really releasing much and said you raised over $10 million how i guess how <laughs> like i mean i think it's a like an interesting time like it's a bear market uh nfts have been really difficult you know you're on a chain that has very low volume and yet you're able to successfully raise a really strong amount and like you said by some really strong players in the vc market so i, I clearly that you have a plan and mm -hmm. so i'm really curious of like you know what was that sales pitch to investors of like why you are different yeah sure so it's really um nft 2.0 so it's like the next generation of nfts like great we've had the pfp era the very expensive mint and then secondary market um we've got a lot of really strong marketplaces in the ecosystem that are focused very much on you know day trading and and mm -hmm. flipping, um which look much more like a, an exchange a you know crypto exchange or a DeFi mm -hmm. product versus a, an nft marketplace um, and really, we were aligned very much with Nier, who have some very strong investors and backers, um, and aligning you know those similar synergies of right not about just bringing on the DGen whales that have huge you know uh, wallets that are just uh, trading wash trading or just uh, you know um, and going for this future of the open web of mm -hmm. looking at monthly active users the same as you look at some Web two companies as you grow. Um, and then what are the friction points and the pain points to overcome that? And, and really those three areas of, of 
what a future marketplace can can, can play in the ecosystem. Um, first of all, is not just a marketplace, but an, an infrastructure play. So the marketplace is like the the the, the tag on a little bit like comparison to you know you got Amazon and you got this, the, the the storefront and the shop window, but under yeah. the hood you've got AWS and you know yeah. the beast really generating you know so much revenue for the company. Um, and how do you simplify the tech stack for um, Web two companies coming into to Web three because it's tough to come in with no exposure to to to, to blockchain yeah. and crypto. So, right, where do I start? Right, Ethereum. Okay, now I have to read the Ethereum white paper. Then I have to understand the intricacies of Ethereum versus near the decentralization, the scalability, the security. What's the difference between a web-based wallet versus a MetaMask plug? Plug. So it can take you, you know, a long, long time to as a developer, as a, a working for a, a company to come into this space. Um, and even if we, you've, you know, you're sold on a chain and pick a chain, you then have to navigate through the different players with the different tooling in that chain. And, you know, even speaking with the near team, you know, you're then bringing in, okay, great, come and build on near, but there's uh, 20 different partners from wallets through to, uh, you know, onboarding solutions through to indexing solutions through to uh, APIs. So just even navigating through, through that can be uh, quite the challenge. So it's like, providing that whole toolkit and providing that tech stack, which um, really has a very easy API to use. So you can get spinning up and, and, and minting APIs and uh, NFTs in your own um, application, all the way through to pulling data through to measuring and showing your users what's trading, um, what's minting, um, all the way through to then a launch pad, a creator studio, and then um, a, a marketplace. So it really becomes a platform for Web3, which is very easy for, for, for brands to come in uh, and get started. But we're in like this chasm right now where infrastructure is being built, products are starting to get thought of, and that delta is getting smaller because it's now achievable. Eventually that'll, be, that, that'll just be closed and it'll products will come in. That's like the next feeling. And those that might be gaming, which will be cool, but there might be 10 other verticals we don't even know about. Yep. And I think on that gaming, but loyalty and rewards, um, yeah. I, I love what you just said there. And I think just to, to complement that, a good way to visualize it is, um, you know, the, the, the price or the, the, the utility of an NFT and, you know, let's say the first gen has been, you know, mint price, high as possible, you know, trades up uh, on speculation, community yep. moves to the next mint because you want to get on the whitelist. And then all of a sudden it's dead and then it flips. And, you know, you call mm -hmm. this, rug, you know, lots of rugs happening out there. Well, it's kind of beginning. It started off just being an artist wanting to sell their art and not mm -hmm. having to promise utility and continue to, you know, hype up the community of future value. And it becomes exhausting and it burns out lots of these artists and then exactly. creators. And then, you know, the revenue's gone and it moves on. Um, what we're seeing is like the inverse to that, where companies now with real IP, real value, real revenues um, want to build community, build reach, you know, audience. They have budgets that they spend on marketing and advertising, which can, you know, today in the tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and so it becomes an inverse effect that the companies are not looking at it like a commerce play of like, oh, we can sell something for as much as possible. It becomes a marketing play where it's investing in the community because we're going to build our brand and we're going to sell our products to these users over time. And we're using NFTs stroke digital collectibles as a means to build that um, emotive like connection to manage that community in using these tools as, as ways we haven't done before. So then these brands are looking for solutions that can mint hundreds of thousands of NFTs with, without breaking the bank 
to then be very, very easy for for, for mainstream market to come in and, and get on board. So those criteria is very different to what we've you know been experiencing before with MetaMask and OpenSea yeah. and uh, you know, high value mints. That's makes so much sense. And it's like extractive versus additive value in my mind, right? Like mm. the current, like what you just described, like the mint speculation, that's so extractive. Like it's like a bunch of piranha and an elephant falls in the river. They, they go, go, go. And then they need another elephant. Instead, I prefer the yeah. approach where it's like you build something and as brands come on or as, as projects, everything they do is, is additive. It builds the ecosystem in a positive way. And that's the only stuff I focus yeah. on because otherwise it's not going to succeed long-term anyway. It'll just like, you know, destroy itself. Yeah, totally. And two killer aspects that Nier brings to the, the, the table when, um, when offering this type of solution versus some of the other chains is um, the web-based wallets and, and account flexibility. So, you know, we all know um, mm -hmm. without yeah. having to go through the whole MetaMask and funding accounts um, is a really nice way. Human readable accounts make such a difference when you're, you know, reading a blockchain and indexing that. It's much nicer, you know, Chris.Nears, you know, trades an NFT with with Joe.Near, for example, it becomes much nicer on the, the ledger versus the hashed addresses. Um, mm -hmm. And then even on the gas price and, and, and well, yeah. two very important points, the scalability and the case study we have for Nier as, as uh, Sweatcoin and, and Sweat Economy doing their TGE, launching eight, you know, 14 million wallet addresses and distributing tokens to those uh, token holders without bringing down the chain. Yeah. That's one of the very few case studies that we have in the ecosystem that shows that Nier you know, can do this. There's a lot of theoretical other chains that are saying, oh yeah, we could potentially, you know, with TPS of this, but um, that's a really good case study that's very important for brands um, to, to, to kind of see. Um, and then the final thing is is price and, and cost of, uh, you know, cost of minting uh, on an Ethereum. Mm -hmm. a Polygon is, 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 is much more expensive, especially when you're thinking in the mindset of minting 400,000 NFTs to, to your music fans, um, you know, for example, um, that you're doing for free, you don't want to be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in gas fees to, to, to distribute that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, and the, the gas fee piece of it is one part that I think over gets overlooked from the project side, right? So if, cause like you said, if you are building out an NFT project that is not a PFP based one, and so you are doing the actual minting yourself. Uh, that can become really expensive, especially on other chains. So how do you, I mean, when you pitch to a creator, is that something that you guys are doing now? Like you're just showing like flat out, like here is your cost with here us on near versus other chains, or is it more like trying to focus on just what you can do from a positive sense? Um, we often reverse the, the question back. So it's, it's looking at, you know, how many NFTs do you want to mint? Mm -hmm. How do you want to evolve that NFT over time? Um, and how big is your community? How many, you know, so you can work out whether this is a big problem and a pain point for them, um, versus if it was just a small, we're doing 500 NFTs to a small community where kind of cost is, is not so much of a, of a hindrance. Um, and we've been having recent conversations with some you know, very big, players that um, have you know, big communities it's from the web two world, let's say a lot of big IP owners. And then we're seeing more and more the numbers game now. And, and again, just to back the point that it's so exciting. We've got this bear market NFTs in the trash and in, in, in the, the, the first generation, but behind the scenes, like I'm our team being inundated with, with um, business development opportunities with some amazing brands that have been around forever, publicly traded companies that are all now looking in this space. 
they may have done a drop before, which was more of a cash grab and said, oh, well, we had an advisor tell us two years ago to drop some NFTs and we, we did it. And now we don't know mm. what's next. And now there is a different mindset and a mentality about this. And again, it comes more into like the marketing budget thought thought process rather than the, the commerce selling something uh, you know, as much as possible, which is then really interesting because our response then becomes much more strategic how to integrate loyalty, how to add utility. Um, and with some of the things we're building on few and far um, with the new quests feature um, from a front end, it's really providing some sort of utility as a service where we can creatively work with these brands. Um, for example, like an automotive racing car team um, with a big community, we can now break down the whole campaign that every race day you get to mint a steering wheel, then a tire, mm -hmm. Then the next week, and so you can bring them on a journey. The first few mints are free. The next mm -hmm. few mints, you know, maybe ten dollars, twenty dollars, um, and then the, the the all have different rarities. So it's gamified. It brings out the super fans to connect as many parts as possible. And then you by minting, you're assembling the car, burns your your parts, gives you a limited edition NFT, which then um, you know gets you paddock passes. It gets you VIP hospitality, meet the drivers, uh, etc. Hold on one second. I think like I, I just want to point out that what just you just said there, right? Like you were talking a question and then you pivoted to this quest thing, which I really want to dial in on. And you just gave a really solid use case. Like I just want like the audience because like, you know, I want to like focus on that because like this quest thing you're talking about is really first time I've heard of it. And that makes a yeah. lot of sense, like the race car analogy. Some great alpha. We haven't really announced this. We, we've, we've subtly dropped it, um, but giving you some nice nice alpha here, what, what we will be um, delving into like and releasing some documentation and everything. Um, but yeah, please go on. I think the marketing aspect of this is so huge. We're talking metrics. Uh, you're talking um, when a person has your NFT minted, like if you meant a race car wheel, you're a fan. You're not a Facebook ad that I just threw a bunch of money to and tried to hope that you'll like it. I bet the conversion on this would be just through the roof. It'd be scary high. And then you've got the gamification element into it. It it can manage everything on chain, so you're not having to build all of this yourself as a you know as a marketer. So that's what I said. It's like this utility as a service is a new thing that we're we're modulizing and building. Yeah. Um, I'll give you some other you know really great examples. But what we're seeing is then we've had this era of artists or creators and collaborations and yet yeah, still very important but it's like right what's next and the brands need real hand-holding right this is like a whole new space you can't going back to what i said before you can't provide them an a to z of potential web3 companies that they have to mm -hmm. figure out how to plug all of them together to get this oh, work yeah. they just want a creative proposal a you know fee to sign off on that's covering all the gas fees that's covering you know everything and then they just want it delivered on a plate that they can then expose their users to and hope that it works and that it's super easy to to, to get on board and you know and, and doesn't then backfire with some of the the friction that we've seen with uh, you know other marketplaces and, and and networks um and then music is really really exciting vertical for us as well and we're having some um amazing conversations applying that same principle that same structure to an artist's unreleased track where you break down the the skit so you've got what day one you mint the drums to the track the drum like uh beats you've got then day two the vocals come in and each of them play as audio files but they're, they're incomplete on their own and then you once you've got collected them all you then can mint the whole track you hear it before anybody right. else you'll hear it you know on a zoom call with a listening party with the dj itself 
And then if you've got the rare ones within each of those components, they all add up. So if you're lucky to draw or trade your way to getting the highest score, um, you can then, you know, winning VIP festival experiences, et cetera. The artist is building that really close um, kind of rapport and then it can continue to go to the next track. It can become like a way to release tracks to your super fans. What I love about what you guys are trying to do right here is you're bringing back the collective nature, right? So, I mean, I can think of times growing up where there were more activities that were like this more in the physical real world, right? Where I'm collecting pieces to put something together. So in order, though, to do this, are, would you say that like Few and Far is not just a marketplace, but you guys are actually a service company because you're providing a service now. Like, are you actually, you say, you said the, the term handholding, are you doing that for uh, these artists and projects and things like that? Great question. Um, so a couple of different questions in there, I'll break down. Um, first one, are we a service company? Um, we, I'd like to see the future as we're growing. We're, we're an infrastructure and technology company. Um, but then as we grow community, as we grow our user base, we become more of a media company um, mm. and having a big user base then starts benefiting and cross pollinating, you know, different communities. Um, if you're interested in, you know, automotives, uh, auto racing, you could also be interested in soccer, football, etc. And, and the crossovers there exist, as well as gaming, you know, if you're coming in to play sure. one free game, you want to then discover another then. Um, and really, rather than you know, we're already a niche within a niche within a niche in this industry. And we need to start <laughs> thinking like bigger picture, which isn't, you know, chasing the narrative of like, you know, what's the the buzzword, the blockchain bingo buzzword that everyone wants to kind of jump into and throw their money in, even though it hasn't been like established at all and start yeah. looking at what, you know, what works in the real business world. And uh, talking about marketing, big I SaaS mean, companies, yeah. how do they get there, right? It's all about audience and numbers and that's your value. Um, and so, you know, companies like Facebook and Google monetize that audience. We're not saying replicating that model, but you can, you know, there's value there um, that you can use that as a platform and you can give these artists the opportunity to sell sell their goods to um, to, to this audience. Um, and then it's becoming, um, and then the, the, the second part is that you make the technology as frictionless and easy to use as possible. So a company can come, they don't need to touch the few and far marketplace. They can have all of this existing in their own website and their own platform as these big brands like to, to protect their brand. So under the hood and the infrastructure is all being powered by the few and far technology. Um, and then they get to choose and flick a switch, whether that's then fed into the, the, the marketplace for additional liquidity and additional audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and then the final part of that question um, was the uh, you know how do you help creators and things so we're actually building a creator studio which is going to be like best in class super easy no code where you can drag and drop and create your nft collection and drop it on the few and far launch pad um with with no code required um and then you can also get access to um publishing bots and, mm. and widgets let's say so you can very easily add to your own discord your own dedicated sales bot and listings bot which is bringing the information of what's happening in your collection into your either social community on twitter or discord or directly onto your website which can be using dynamic feeds to organize and collect that data to feed it in so your community can see what nfts just been sold or listed or minted within their own environment so it's a nice 
um, caveat, rather than having to you know, build and launch your own white labeled marketplace or your own NFT marketplace for these brands, they can get the best and dynamic and engaging content from what's happening on the marketplace without all that technical debt and cost and legalities, mm -hmm. community management needed to run a marketplace. The second you have a deck where you have a use case of a marketing department who leveraged this and then they see the back end metrics, basically you'll know where a majority of your users are that engage with your product or your marketing campaign. I'm just like blown away by like the amount of metrics that this stuff can do in a positive way where like companies can really leverage it and like give a better experience to their users. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, with your experience, my, my first company I started in 2010 mm -hmm. and it was very early. It was back in the UK in London. It was actually with John Hook, who, uh, you oh, guys know from, huge uh, fan of John um, Hook. So yeah, we, we, we started our first business together and he was ex media agency. I was media owner and we came together with the vision of these mobile devices are only going to get better and better. And this was like an iPhone one or two at the time. And yeah. we were going to spend more and more time. And there was these new things called apps coming along. And it was all built on new technology called HTML5 and not Flash. Meanwhile, like the ad agencies were all trying to win awards, doing big TV ads, yep. and homepage takeovers. We sneaked in through pitching, you know, through, through selling where the, the audience were going, which was away from desktop. And at the time, only three or 4% of people had smartphones. And we were putting ads for like Warner Brothers into Angry Birds apps, one of the first companies doing all this, building the creative, um, building the network and um, worked with many Fortune 500 brands, sold that company, uh, which then we listed on the NASDAQ. So I've got a lot of experience and it's like repeating, history is repeating itself or something it of seeing what brands are now looking at the metaverse and how they're seeing younger audiences have very different uh, buying habits and and appreciation for, for for brands that you know that they used to have so they're really leaning into this space especially fashion brands we're seeing and are pretty scared that you know the younger generation is much more perceiving digital assets and goods you know and, and gaming you know more so than the real world brand you know gucci handbags and what have you um and and are trying to address that by by really kind of uh, learning what this metaverse future looks like and how digital assets and collectibles can 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 build into this um and so yeah having that same conversation that albeit changed mobile and everyone's going to have an app and you need an app and there's an app for everything to now like digital collectibles nft mm -hmm. metaverse and it's still super super early but it's exciting to be on you know that 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 same path and uh, and having those conversations again I mean, to me, to hear the way you guys are approaching it is refreshing because, you know, I think of, you know, so I have younger kids, but they're old enough now where they're starting to game and they're starting to do these different things. And and one of the things that really sticks out is all the digital assets that come into play and like they are much more interested in all of that stuff than physical things, right? I could say, hey, we can go get new sneakers or I can buy you a new skin in Fortnite. And they're like, I'll take the Fortnite. Like, like I just, yeah. and so as that is coming to be, you know, like how do you get that message across, you know, that to these bigger brands of like, hey, maybe you need to think about you know, making your sneakers digital so they they can buy them and wear them in this game, you know, is like, what does that, what does that presentation look like from you guys to, to someone? Um, okay, so uh, yeah, I've got a really good example, Joe. Uh, um, it was back in 2012. I think I've got a blog post written back in 2012 about this with my niece. She was like seven or eight at the time. 
and I was like, what do you want for Christmas? And there's an uncle, you know, kind of wanting to spoil the knees. And she said she wanted a new igloo for her uh, club penguin. Yes. <laughs> like, I know what? club penguin. Like, how do I wrap that up? Like, <laughs> um, and she was like, you know, convinced that she wanted to upgrade the igloo for her penguin because her school friends, you know, have all got better igloos for their penguins. And that was like when the penny dropped back then, you know, uh, in in um, really kind of how this younger audience is just grown up digital first. Um, mobile first, you know, explain what a DVD or a, a you know, cassette or a CD is to, to, to kids today. And, and they think, you, you know, come from a different planet. Um, and so, but the, the marketers that are all running, you know, like the marketing directors that are running the big brands, you know, you know, they've got a very different perception and, and like us, you know, have gone through this, but it's, it's like a fear that they, you know, well, Fear of becoming irrelevant as a brand is like the biggest, like, you know, yeah. sensitive touch point. And these brands that have millions of dollars in 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 innovation departments, and you've seen what Nike have executed very, very well in coming into this space and you know, jumping in first. Um, you've recently seen, you know, Starbucks making a big move with the Odyssey program and uh, what they've been doing. So they're talking about it now. And the 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 CMOs are writing, you know, blog posts yeah. of how successful these programs are and are presenting this, which is being read by other CMOs and then it becomes like a fear of missing out, a fear of being left behind, a fear of being irrelevant as a brand. And that's actually creating a lot of these brands to be leaning into the Web3 space, to be coming to conferences like, you know, Consensus and NYC, NFT NYC, and to be learning and their kind of job as these marketers are, are to learn it, what trends are, what their audiences are wanting and how to stay relevant. And so um, at the moment saying, despite all the doom and gloom we're hearing on Twitter and the you know the day trading like uh, activity and and prices take that all away and it's really exciting to see um the interest with brands and how they are now understanding and looking at things um as they should of it being a longer term engagement um marketing tool um and building that connectivity and the data and the uh, and the brand uh connectivity totally man and in 5 years from now we'll look back to this era and this the the sort of Everything that's going on with like NFTs now will be this tiny sliver that like I call it the game of NFTs, like a sporting game where people love like this whole flipping stuff. And it'll be a vertical still, but it'll be a lot smaller compared to all the other verticals that are like created over the next five, 10 years. So I think royalties are really interesting uh, debate um, because, yeah, um, yeah, that's something that would be really interesting to see uh, how because that's really important for the, the overall landscape of the market. Yeah, I think that's a little bit where I wanted to go next was so go not chain specific, but I think just looking at the larger landscape, I think you see things like what's happening on ETH with something open seeds decision to pivot away from royalties. You have products like Blur coming out, the stuff that's going on in Magic Eden, you know, um, the ability to now also wear you know solana's answer has kind of become like we're going to lock you into certain contracts in order to enforce some of the stuff which causes other problems for people how do you start to put all of that in perspective and provide a solution that is really going to benefit the creators yet at the same time you know not become overly restrictive either so if we zoom out and look at the the macro there's two ways to look at it there's the the business model side and the logic side and then there's the technology side of like how these contracts talk to each other to you know to, to process all of this um on the business side we're moving into an era where um less as we've discussed less value on the, the primary mint 
uh, free mints, you know, very low value, um, and then building value over time with building the community and adding loyalty and, and, and you know, building that brand. Um, now, the creator, the artist, the brand still wants to be remunerated for that. And look at CryptoPunks is a good example where, you know, that was a free mint. But now today, one of the most successful, the successful, you know, project on, on Ethereum. Um, then we got into a bit of like the ICO craze, everyone like FOMOing in and increasing the primary mint. And now we're kind of back backtracking. Um, if you're taking away the value of the primary mint, plus you're taking away the royalties, which many of these marketplaces are now available, they're not honoring these royalties. You're then really taking away all incentives for, for creators, brands, artists to, to build in the space, right? There's nothing different to selling it on an Etsy or, you know, eBay or, or you know, doing physical real prints. Um, the other side of it is let's look at the technology of like how these contracts talk to each other. So um, when marketplaces and OpenSea at the beginning were designing the, 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 the contracts, they kept the control within the marketplace contract. So that dictates who gets paid what as the final say, and it reads the contracts of, uh, of, of, of the collectors and, and kind of takes the data from there. Um, but it opened up this, this void where competing marketplaces, competing for short-term volume can come in, not honor that, and then all of a sudden, the, the incumbents, the open seas and the magic Edens have made a, in my opinion, a bit of a short term, um, you know, um, view of then, okay, well, we're going to fight for the traffic and we're going to also not honor royalties and uh, make them optional and, and try to, to figure out some solutions, which then have become quite centralized, which we're talking with, um, the likes of a, a Metaplex and, and, and Solana, where everything's then built in one contract and it's owned by a company. And, uh, you know, you can't eject your contract out of it. So you're, you're pretty locked in and, Again, it comes back to well, what's the difference of working on a on a centralized database with managing a lot of this? So, um, right. So that's the kind of situation that we've been in. A few and far, our perspective is that we need to um, be able to honor the promise of Web three, and that's what Web three is about: is uh, you know royalties or revenues in perpetuity without relying on lawyers and accountants, and 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 it's the the big selling point, right? That's why you as a creator, you know, you want to monetize your, 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 your art, or even as a brand, you want to find out how to make some revenues long-term if it's a, a success. Um, and so what we've done at Fume Farm, we launched this back in, in, in October, way before like OpenSea and, and Blur uh, launched. Um, and we saw this becoming a problem with Magic Eden um, and Hyperspace at the time, which it was playing out like on Solana. Um, and we wanted to put the business logic, which is the decision of who gets paid what, mm -hmm. away from the marketplace and back in the contract of the creator. Mm -hmm. So we are just reading and interpreting. We, we, we as a marketplace or any other marketplace using our, um, our, our protocol doesn't have the ability to change and uh, you know, change the price or uh, change the royalties or, or not honor those royalties. So really kind of putting the power back into the, the creator's contract. Okay, cool. So um, this has like been, Joe, I don't know about you, but this conversation is like really getting me like my mind spinning and kind of challenging some of my uh, beliefs if you've listened to past podcasts. So like with royalties, I was a big, like, like, don't do royalties. However, now talking and thinking of like, let's get more nuanced, which I think the whole space needs is a little bit of nuance, right? Like it's not crypto. It's so many different like verticals. So in like the V1 of NFTs, where it's just trading and like blurs an example of this, where it just strips away the community aspect and almost makes it more of like a token basically that you can trade. I think royalties aren't as important there. However, in this V2 that we've been talking about in this podcast, it's about 
leveraging the utility of an NFT that you guys can now do with the quest function or the quest and other things, you can evolve an NFT over time, which gives it sort of more incentive to do a great job long term. So you're not just trying to pump, dump, flip, you know, get people, get that mint money and then just yeah. let it go. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the mint money or minimize the mint money. And then as the project goes longer, it increases value. And because there's royalties, that's an incentive to the project. So actually now in the V2 of NFTs that are coming, I'm pro royalties. <laughs> All right. So, you flipped some, Chris. There you yeah. go. Good. Great. Well, it's like building a business plan. It's, it's like building a business plan of like, here's yeah. my business. I'm going to start off losing money because I need yeah. to you know, build this thing, build the community, do the marketing. But if by year two, three, four, we're going to be generating this much, uh, you know, this much revenue. And so, but if you take that away, yeah. It's really hard to incentivize why to then invest in the beginning and launch this. Um, and it's, in my opinion, bad for the ecosystem as a whole. Yep, day trading and flipping, very expensive, uh, you know, NFTs and JPEGs, different. Um, and we also do have a different perspective. Part of our creator studio is like, why does it have to be one model fits all? Agreed. So looking yeah. at Amazon, when I look to buy something, I can I can sign up to a subscription uh, and have a you know, subscription model. There's like bulk buy model. There's, there's different payment options and mm. so our first gen is just um is is locking those royalties in um the artist creator gets to choose what those royalties are um but it becomes dynamic and it's very transparent so the buyer can see it but it can change over time which is unlike other contracts that are locked so the creator can come back into our studio and say oh i'm getting some pushback because um you know the community doesn't want to pay five percent royalties i'm going to lower that to three percent and from now on it becomes three percent um, and, and then also there's different, you know, we can get very creative, but you can kind of get the, the idea of where we're going with this, that if we can program this, then all of a sudden by a click of a button, you can change different models. You can have it that if it's above a certain floor price, the royalty comes down. If it's below, it so you can, you know, you can, you can start to add some interesting new, um, models to test the market because all this is very unknown. So we have to see what, what works and what doesn't, but we've got the flexibility to do so. Awesome. It's like you're leveraging. Joe and I talk about this a lot, the ethos of Web3, like, because a lot of people try to back in Web2 into Web3 and just kind of re like move a couple widgets around and be like, look, it's Web3. And it's like, no, you're just doing a Web2 business model. Add a connect to your site and uh, and, and there you go, Web3. Yeah, Web3, <laughs> cool. But but seeing that like where we really get into is like these business models and these uh, profit generations and sort of revenue and product. And without those revenue incentives, why why launch a project so i think that's really cool so I, I can see like how a project could then think about that to make profit have you seen any um, uh, um outspoken um like starbucks bank of america nike the the um, leads of the projects have been specifically talking about the revenues in perpetuity that they've been mm-hmm. calling this which is then bringing in a lot of the other you know companies to the space yeah. um which um which if you take that revenue you know as a as a publicly traded and company, you're doing things for profit, right? So um, at the end of the day, either you're selling your goods and services to to this audience, you're building your brand to sell, um, or you can generate some revenue directly through the the, the transaction. Um, But it also can give you additional budget to put value back into the, the community. So an example for that is that if you're generating revenues, then uh, you're selling products, it's working, there's more um, value to give back to that community in the form of contests, competitions, utility, etc. So in pulling all of this to kind of together and saying, so and you try to maybe 
court larger brands and stuff like that. Is it? Uh, I think there's probably two parts to this question. I guess of like, one is I are you making the pitch then like if you go to another chain and that's going to be able to use another marketplace, you you know, a Nike could end up losing that royalties. And as a company like Nike, they're not going to want to play in that game where people are skipping out on royalties for their product. And then secondarily for you guys as a marketplace, then is, is the vision then to become a place where it's not necessarily about buying things in the token of near that I can then start to, you know, come in with either other tokens or just my car, my credit card and buy, buy something from there. So that exchange becomes again, a little bit more abstracted. So first of all, we've got everything on, on few and far. We're actually going to be releasing. It's been in testing for quite some time, but releasing the ability to pay with fiat with credit card, which is super, super important for, for, for these companies. Yeah. Um, and second of all, everything's denominated in, in USD too. So it becomes much more like readable. Um, and so there's just some of the, the, the basic hygiene factors that we need as a marketplace to play in this space, which again is different to more of the degen day trading, um, kind of world. Um, and so that's what we've been building that, that infrastructure and tools to then be able to, you know, you, you're not even going to get through the front door if you don't have some of these basic, um, solutions in place. Um, and then, yeah, the, to, to, to these brands, I think mentioned Nike as an example. I think the importance they've gone and bought artifacts and, and bought their own, you know, bought the marketplace themselves. They're, they're treating this, you know, so seriously. Others like Amazon are, are, are building, you know, their own marketplace yep. um, on their own chain. And then again, the problem is that sometimes it's like, oh, this is an interesting space. We'll just build our own marketplace and we'll host it on our own servers and great we've got you know an nft that that that, that is nicely impacted in our company um, <laughs> right, right. Really exactly. kind of a lot of the ethos of like what decentralization and 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 you know digital ownership is is really all about yeah. um we've got some you know some other mar marketplaces that provide white label marketplace in a box but you read the terms and conditions it's like well we own the the nft we can take it away from you at any point we totally all of it and i'm like hold on a minute, this is, and then, you know, add an extra zero to their valuation because they're a web three company and they, you know, can connect with a MetaMask as well as Google login and everything else, but everything is, is behind closed doors. So the, um, we've been fighting a bit with this as an education piece as well, because mm -hmm. then you've got marketers not understanding or, or companies not understanding much about the space and wanting to learn. And there's two product sets. One is centralized and really easy to use, but it's just a, a web two platform calling these things NFTs. And then you can export them if you connect your MetaMask way down the line as an advanced user, or then a fully decentralized marketplace with a MetaMask and an OpenSea. The product manager tests both and goes, oh, this is a much nicer user experience yeah. we'll go with that one and not really looking at the the kind of rationale and the, the, uh, the de decentralized nature behind it. Um, and so that's again just education um and i think you know it'll come out but um but it's something that the there's lots of different solutions in market and like with any new um it's you know with any new technology um it takes a while to to, to really figure everything out it seems like you guys are, are certainly on the on the right track with that i mean it's totally. yeah it's it's going to be really interesting i think for everyone in the space probably in the next you know six months to a year uh even if the bear market kind of stays as there seems to be more adoption in general, regardless. 
you know how lucky we are that we're in a bear market? I know that sounds like counterintuitive, but like maybe luck is the wrong word, but it's like a really <laughs> good time to be able to like do all this and not have to like if this was a raging bull market, you'd be like, it'd be like so like, yeah, you know, fevery. And right now it's like you really get to look at the landscape and be like, OK, here's where like it's like if you surf, right? Uh, You know, the waves come in and then there's like a little lull and you just kind of look to see where the waves are coming and then you kind of get in position for them. And so it's a similar kind of vibe. Good analogy. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely, um, I've been through bear markets and bull markets and yeah. it's definitely the best, best time to build, um, take away a lot of the, 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 the noise and, uh, and throth of the market. Yeah, I do think it would just be good to kind of end on, uh, another question that definitely comes up a lot to us. If, uh, the token generation that you guys originally did and raised and like, what is the plan for that? I know people ask a lot of questions, uh, you know, when's the token coming? Is it still coming? Uh, all those things and why I think the biggest question for us is why a token yeah great great question so yeah we've got a token coming it's uh it's going to be in the next uh quarter um we're still just um putting the the the, the plans together and things um but really from being a community-owned marketplace um where it becomes the the actual you know few and far marketplace um, we want to give back value to the community, and so it really is owned by the community, and we are fully structured and set up in a in in a, in a kind of decentralized and uh, a, a Web three way. Um, and so the, the 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 trading fees and the revenues that are generated go back to token holders. Um, we use the token to um, really attract um, users, which then in turn brings more value back to the community and back to the ecosystem. Um, and you will have the ability to to, to stake um, to 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 really generate um, governance around selecting which projects you want to be featured and listed. Um, and so, as we're growing our community through supporting, um, you know, many other of these projects that are coming in, um, it then adds a really good opportunity to um, to expose users to new brands, new artists, new collections, new games, uh, and the token becomes a, a way to, um, you know, to generate that that audience and to, to build audience discovery, um, without going down what say, some other players have gone where it is encouraging, like, you know, wash trading and, um, and, and encouraging, you know, bad, bad habits, this is much more for a community ownership where you can come in, discover new new projects, discover free mints by holding the token, you're getting benefits of getting access to whitelists, of getting free mints. It's building the community, which is what all these brands and these partners want and see a lot of value in. You know, not just the the ethos of NFTs and everything else, but also like what you've talked about of building a product and what really goes into that and those considerations as well uh, is I think a really important thing to keep discussing uh, as we try to grow yeah, near the entire crypto ecosystem. Chris, thank you so much to, uh, for your time today. This was uh, really informative and I really appreciate you taking all our questions. Yeah, thank you for being here and really look forward to what's about to you know happen over the next year or two. Thank you so much for having me. It's been yeah a lot of fun and I uh, look to, to do it again soon. Have a great Easter weekend. Thanks, guys. Thank, yeah, take care. thank you.